Hello, and welcome to Talking Treatment, the podcast for everything in the field of mental health and addiction treatment. Join us in listening to our episode as we will focus on highlighting industry trends with guest experts and healthcare providers from around the nation in the treatment industry who will share their unique perspectives on treatment. Ending the stigma on behavioral health and substance use disorders is very important to us, and the easiest way to do that is by talking about it. That's Talking Treatment. Today, we have a special guest from Antioch University, Dr. Vincent Pignatello. Welcome, Dr. Pignatello. This is Coletta Dorado. I'm CEO and founder of ASLI. Very excited to have you on board. And this is the Antioch University New England location. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Great. So please um, share with us in the audience just exactly what you do as, as director of the Psychological Services Center there. And you know you're chair of the Department of Clinical Psychology. You wear quite a few hats up there, I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Antioch definitely trains us to be um, be able to serve in multiple roles in psychology, and so I definitely wear a few hats. So yeah, as the director of the Psychological Services Center, um, we're at the training clinic for the Department of Clinical Psychology at Antioch University, New England. And our goal is primary to train uh, students to become psychologists. Often students tend to come to the PSC in their first or second uh, clinical rotation uh, while in the doctoral program. Um, and one of the things that we do as a training clinic is we try to teach students to think professionally, to think psycho- psychologically, and to think ethically, train them for uh, the various roles that uh, students ultimately end up in as psychologists. So Dr. Pignatello, during pre-COVID, let's talk about uh, was your training on site and within the clinic uh, uh, more so than maybe what it is today? Have things changed? Yeah, so pre-COVID, training is uh, regulated by uh, Clinical Psychology's Guild Organization, the American Psychological Association. So all of our training does need to be in-person, face-to-face. Obviously, with COVID, it's uh, led us having to think uh, creatively about how to continue to train students while also keeping students and patients safe. Um, And so we have uh, moved some of our services uh, online through uh, remote uh, services like uh, um, telehealth for our therapy program um, and a hybrid model um, with some individual uh, face-to-face work as well as some then remote work, uh, say in our assessment program. And you know what, we still find um, doctors that within behavioral health, mental health, addiction treatment, it appears that a lot of the funding dollars through state or federal funding in order to support programs, to support education, to support treatment, even within the patient population in the community, that this sector of health care was underserved. It is impressive upon us how many programs that exist out there are still paper-based So we really are excited and encouraged that at the uh, university level, more and more teaching clinics are are reaching out for modern technology or platforms in order to better equip um, healthcare providers in this sector to really, number one, make a living, number two, provide better outcomes and really serve the new mandates that are coming down. Do you pretty much cover a lot of that in in your training? 
Um, Antioch University has very much of an environmental and social justice perspective. And uh, moving away from paper files, for instance, given the laws around um, HIPAA and maintaining records for an extended period of time, uh, paper, for instance, um, isn't always the most effective way uh, to do that um, and uh, has an environmental cost to it. Uh, and kind of like in terms of our own training around telehealth, uh, even prior to COVID-19, there's a social justice component that being in New Hampshire in a very rural state where we don't actually have any um, major east-west uh, interstates, for instance, so traveling across such a small state can even take a couple of hours. That as a way to kind of expand access to healthcare um, has always been a focus of the program. Um, in fact, the clinical psychology department started with a social justice focus back in the 80s to provide um, increased capacity for psychologists to serve in rural areas like New Hampshire. And so it, it, using technology has been one way uh, to help uh, achieve that goal and move towards a more equitable uh, uh, capacity to serve the community. So the services that you offer and, and the clinicians that you're training, they're not only serving your student population, but they serve within the community, is that correct? Correct, yeah, we serve both as the mental health clinic to the community, so this goes um, well out into different parts of the state of New Hampshire, as well as uh, to the majority of, uh, or parts in New England, so including Vermont, Western Massachusetts in particular. And we also then serve as the College Counseling Center for Antioch University, New England. So other departments uh, are able to have their students receive services at the PSC. Um, so we serve kind of as a broad community health center and college counseling center at the same time. Well, that's wonderful. That's excellent. So doctor, have you been able, through the use of technology, would you say, are you able to serve more of the, of the community or more um, of the patient population that needs um, this care? Has technology helped you expand who you serve? I think one of the unfortunate benefits of COVID, if I can name it, is that has been that it seems like the industry has been willing to reassess previous limitations around people accessing care through um, telehealth. Uh, there are a number of licensing laws um, and legal issues that have made uh, practicing um, in a small state like New Hampshire problematic because someone who lives out in Vermont, which is only a 30-minute drive from where Antioch is, or Western Massachusetts, again, a 30-minute drive south, well, wouldn't have been able to access telehealth services because we crossed state lines. So what you're saying is, because I, I believe here in the state of Florida, where AFWI is based, um, the state of Florida, who is really strict with um, licensing and anyone who does move to the state or wants to provide services, have to follow a pretty strict mandate on, on process and procedure in order to get licensed to serve here. But my understanding when it comes to telehealth, that they have um, relaxed that rule with the understanding that some family members or students have moved back home or are, are working remotely or doing their classes online and allowing for treatment to continue with those providers that might not be located in the state of Florida. So you're saying within your community of all your states touching each other, that the states also have relaxed some of those rules so that you're able to serve 
um, in various states versus where you were more restricted before? Am I understanding that correctly? Correct. There have been a number of executive orders and temporary changes in some licensing laws that have made it easier to work across state lines during the public health emergency. Some states, for instance, have put processes into place to facilitate obtaining a temporary license to see patients in neighboring states via telehealth. This has been particularly helpful for us in New England, where we have six states that combined are a little bit bigger than the state of Florida. But with all the continuous borders, it makes it challenging if patients live even half an hour away. It's been important regardless for us to stay up to date on the changes in each of the laws in the states. Yeah, it definitely is a challenge, uh, obviously, with HIPAA and the concerns that go along with that. It absolutely makes sense. Um, so that's really exciting, though, the fact that you're able to continue, uh, grow, serve more, uh, serve not only your, your uh, students' needs, uh, but also continue to serve in, in the community. So talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you're seeing as far as um, your student reaction to technology. Is it a different generation or what's the, what's the typical demographic of the, are part of your groups that you teach? So we feel really fortunate in the clinical site program at Antioch where we have a pretty diverse group in terms of age, for instance. We have some individuals who are coming in right out of undergrad, uh, some who've received a master's degree, and some who have uh, are engaging in a second career change. And, and so on this, we have a lot of diversity in terms of engagement with technology. And, and so while many are technology native, many others are still kind of feeling their way through um, working in a different way. And I think regardless of any sort of change, there's always issues of workflow, things that work in paper or work in person. Um, that new workflow processes need to be developed for. Um, and so kind of working with these different ways of helping uh, student clinicians think professionally about what the workflow means um, so they can dedicate more of their time to working with patients um, and as much as possible reduce the amount of time that's needed on things like paperwork. You know, conversely, we try to have students think um, too about how to use technology um, as a way to expand their um, awareness around psychological issues. Um, and the affordances that exist through um, telehealth or the ease at which someone can reach um, patients now, um, although we don't allow this at our clinic, um, but we know that some practitioners in the community use texting in other ways to get a hold of patients. And so um, recovery apps and other things have allowed for more frequent contact with technology. And so our students are having to learn how to navigate those boundaries, um, how to make technology an ally in terms of efficiency, um, but also um, being mindful of the potential pitfalls of technology as well. Certainly, absolutely. There's a lot of uh, education. That's why we as a, as a technology company in care, we're really, really excited about helping any um, university that offers teaching clinics, especially in behavioral health and, and mental health or addiction treatment because it's, it's so much easier for us when we're working um, with existing uh, treatment centers. It's actually easier if they've been on a technology solution but have discovered it, it just doesn't meet their needs and they move on to our platform, which is uh, pretty much a, a single sign on everything that they need is on in one database solution. But those that are still on paper, you're absolutely right, doctor. It's a it's a heavier lift for that 
that practice at the heavier lift for an IT company such as ASLI to bridge that because they're so used to paper processes and, and their workflow and um, uh, feeling confident, feeling comfortable, believing that the technology is going to believe they're going to be there, believing that their notes aren't going to disappear, believing that um, that it is going to be more of a benefit than a burden. It is a, a heavier lift, so it's really exciting for us um, to to know that there are teaching clinics like you out there that are bridging that gap. That no matter what the demographic, whether like you say they're coming right from you know whether it's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 year old population that has, has chosen to go back to school. Um, for a second career or they're just coming out of undergrad and they're deciding, you know, I really want to focus on, on this profession. And labor-wise, statistically, this behavior health in, in the labor market, it's one of the fastest growing labor pools because the need is so great. Would you, would you agree with that? There's definitely a lot of need and we know from even our um uh, sister locations out in Santa Barbara and LA, for instance, at Antioch, that there is such a increased need for behavioral and mental health services. Um, and there's likely to be uh, a huge um, influx in need, um, and hopefully universities uh, are able to keep up with demand and be able to train highly competent professionals who can um, think flexibly and compassionately. I like what you said there, Doctor, in that attending many conferences and hearing many panels on you know what's going on in the community with mental health and behavior health and the anxiety and the increased depression and the isolation pre-covid we were hearing numbers of about 23 million between mental health behavior health and addiction treatment that needed services and only 10 percent were being served now they're talking 49 million and what we feel that telehealth you know maybe breaking down the stigma that it's okay to reach out it's okay to to share that you have anxiety or depression or the isolation is getting to you or or uh, potential relapse and and finding that you know a, a drug of choice is coming into play um, it's okay to reach out and I think on the employer level um, I think that many employers have become more aware of employees that are now working remote that used to be in incredibly social settings you know open workplaces where it was really a community of workers now being isolated I think employers have to be more respectful. So, you know, I agree with you, doctor, in that the need, whether it's it's become greater or it always was there and it's finally being recognized, um, you're, you're being there as an educational tool and, and to really raise the bar, raise best practice, raise the standards in care. It, it really starts in our in our view at the educational level. So we really thank you for all that you're doing and and uh, you know spreading the good word as well. Yeah, definitely. And I know in in our community we are pretty fortunate to have, for instance, even a, a local school district that um, values uh, discussing mental health concerns and seeing um, 
putting on uh, panel discussions and uh, movie screenings as a way to help uh, parents even in high school understand what things like anxiety and depression are like um, for adolescents. And so trying to remove that stigma as early um, and as often as possible um, because once things um, become mentionable in some ways they do become manageable. At all levels, you know, the, the foundation in education, the foundation in skill, um, you're being able to elevate the skill of any individual that comes through your programs uh, definitely is, is win-win out there in the, in the community and, and win-win for any health IT company when we do work with any facility that has that educational base and has that experience in the licensing that has taken place for them to, to get the degree and then go further on their licensing. It makes such a huge difference because they understand HIPAA they understand security, privacy, they understand the restrictions that go along with using social media or texting or even telehealth um, and being concerned as far as, uh, you know, these are tools, but they have to be used properly. So uh, really salute you and I, I thank you for all that you do and all the support you've given the ASLI team. Everybody here enjoys working with you. You did, again, jump in you know, full throttle and really embrace um, the technology that we offer on the electronic health record side for, for documentation. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of tools that we're excited to, um, like you, we try to be at the leading edge, not necessarily the bleeding edge of technology to really help support providers with the tools that can help them serve more. So thank you again for your time today. Uh, Derek or, or Ryan, you want to do a wrap? This is Derek here. I want to ask you, to piggyback off of Coletta's point, we find that a lot of our customers that are addiction treatment centers, behavioral health centers, or, or counseling agencies, we find that they're able to set up their clients, their alumni, with, with the most successful treatment plan because they're able to kind of simulate reality, real life, what's, what's going on, you know, the stresses of life, the stresses of work, family, relationships. And I feel like that transitions well within what y'all have done within your your program on the clinical side is to make it as real as possible for your student clinician within the university to, to help train them and get them kind of used to charting, used to the situations that they're going to be dealing with, as well as helping with your student body. And then furthermore, with your, with your community counseling center that you're doing, my question is, is there any advice that you could give other directors of universities that are also either looking to mimic um, a program similar to yours or, or as they're designing that because you've got to imagine during this time this has to be at the forefront and a, and a top priority to directors such as yourselves, right? Yeah, I, I appreciate that um, because I think what we try to do um, and what we were able to kind of do, um, do with you all in terms of implementing um, in EHR is to think from the ground up about how we train individuals and so Students are trained uh, to think flexibly, for instance, in terms of diagnosis and conceptualization. And so um, teaching them to not only think in terms of the ICD, but also uh, the DSM um, and the uh, psychodynamic diagnostic manual. And so we integrated those into some of our forms from the beginning. We also try to have individuals think um, flexibly. And so we train them on understanding how diagnoses and conceptualizations change as more information comes in over treatment. And we think that's important because if you went to a medical provider and they said you had the flu and then later it turned out it was something else, you would want them to change course with their 
uh, with their treatment, how they were thinking about their concerns. And so we try to teach students to think the same way. Absolutely. And I think you're, I think with what you're doing, Dr. Pignatello, is that you're, you're setting them up for success because you're preparing them for the real world. You know, like I said, just to come circle back around, is there any advice for those other directors out there in similar positions of yours that are looking to implement this? I would encourage them to think about what their training model is and how they can kind of build it into a system that works for them. Um, so questioning how they teach their students to think flexibly, um, diagnostically, for instance, like what are their processes that exist and, and how that can be then implemented in an online structure. In a similar way, you know, what we tried to look at when we were switching from paper over to an EHR um, was where uh, the general processes and workflows that existed and where there might be redundancies and how computers actually do a very good job usually of remembering things. Um, and so having pieces of paper scattered about um, might uh, be useful in a paper world, but not necessarily in an electronic world. So that's kind of why I'd recommend is like, look where those redundancies are and look at where you're starting from in terms of a training model um, and what you'd want to see um, in an electronic system. That makes a lot of sense. So kind of switching gears, Dr. Pignatello, um, we spoke about your, your staff and as supervisors, how technology can help out. We spoke about how your student clinicians, how, how they're using technology to help uh, with their processes and learning and the training. Um, if you don't mind, do you mind sharing with us how has this impacted the student body at all? How about those students that are going in for counseling? Are you able to help more students because of the technology that's been implemented? Um, can you speak a little bit about that? One of the things that's been particularly helpful because of the recent executive orders and temporary changes in licensing laws um, has been some of the traditional standards around telehealth, for instance. We've been able to connect with students in a safe way. Even with COVID, we've been able to find hybrid systems where we can administer psychological tests in two separate offices to keep both the clinicians and the patients safe. We've tried to implement technology in ways where it provides the most benefit and allows for space to exist between two people while also bringing them together in a safe and comfortable way. So we've tried to implement technology in ways where it um, provides the most benefit and that it allows for space to exist between two people while also bringing them together in a particular way. Um, and so we've, we've been fortunate that uh, we have clinicians who learn quickly and who are willing to adapt to these circumstances um, because we do see that there's, uh, I think like you had said, like this is kind of the real world and we try to train students in the real world. And that's gonna mean interacting with telehealth systems in the future, interacting with electronic health systems in the future. And so we wanna provide a large, uh, a large enough basis and foundation that they can come back and look at these experiences and recognize how we got to this point. So they can implement that when they're five, 10, 20 years out um, from their degree. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I, I think it's great to come full circle and see how, you know, just over the last couple of years, how things, things have been going at Antioch. And we've been really blessed and, and grateful to be working hand in hand with y'all, servicing you on the technology standpoint. Um, we're seeing more and more universities kind of adopt the model that you all have been doing for a little bit now. Maybe you're not the originator of it, but I definitely, we, we see y'all as being trailblazers, considering that you've been using a system like ours for two, three years now, and it seems like a lot of programs are just starting now to catch up, and it's probably due to this unfortunate circumstance with COVID. However, you got to think, 
uh, ahead all the time. And I, I think you've done a great job for your program. Definitely give yourself a, a pat on the back. And like I said before, we're really grateful to have you as a customer of ours. And we will share your contact info uh, on the podcast. So if there's any folks out there, any of our listeners that are, are interested in learning more about uh, Dr. Pignatello's programs that he put together at Antioch University, um, we'll have his contact info on there. Just thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today. That sounds awesome, and I definitely appreciate all your staff. They're always so wonderful and friendly, so thank you. Well, y'all take care. Stay healthy. God bless.